0: You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning everybody. How you doing? Hey, one of the things that we do here at C.A. Church is we stand in honor of God's word. Would you stand as we read God's word? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. And again, thank you, Cam, for those super generous words. Uh, My name is Dave, and I just feel so honored to get to share God's word with you. And we're in the book of Ephesians, which I think is one of the most important books for a church plant to go through. And here's why. Because it speaks to our identity and our activity. Who we are. And what are we supposed to be doing around here? Who, what's going on here? Who who are you? Who have you been created to be? And what are you supposed to be doing? Well, Ephesians has a lot to say about that. Hey, so let's read this together. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, their faith and their love, do not cease to give thanks for you and my prayers, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what the hope of his calling. I want to read that sentence one more time because it's going to anchor the whole verse in for us. Paul today, this morning, wants you and I to have our eyes of our understanding enlightened to wake up that you may know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion and every name that is named and church he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things which is his body the fullness of him who fill, uh, uh, who fills all in all you know this is all one run-on sentence paul in the beginning of his letter is like one of those people who just won't stop. Here's what I need to know. I need you to know this. And then I'll talk about, I need you to know that. I need you to know that you have been called to live a life where you are awake to the fullness of God. And I think in order to be awake to the fullness of God, we don't just need caffeine and a good sleep. We need the Holy Spirit to direct us. Can I get an amen? So let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to direct these few moments. Father God, we thank you for your spirit, we thank you for this moment, and Father God, we thank you for Sundays, the first day of the week, and Lord, we want to enter this week focused and centered on you and grounded in the word, having our eyes of our understanding enlightened, and Father, it's not will it, uh, knowledge, it's not even uh, eloquent preaching or good music that does lo- that, Lord, it's a revitalization by the Holy Spirit. And so, Father God, in this moment, we invite Your Holy Spirit to do exactly that—to wake us up. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Are we live here? Oh, thanks, Cam. Well, I wanna—I wanna share with you a little bit my, about my family. I have four kids. You can pray for me. I have four kids. Uh, we've had Brandon, who is our foster son, uh, for nine years. Uh, then, following that, we've got Abelie, who is our daughter. Is that my check one, two? right now there we go am i good a little bit crackly we'll see we'll get going and then we've got jethro who is my son uh, who is five years old i want to tell you a little bit about jet this morning and then we've got axel who is uh, our youngest so i want to tell you a quick story uh, about an airport incident that happened uh, a few years ago this is obviously prior to covid we were at the long beach airport we had been waiting for our airplane for three hours And at that point, you are trying to entertain your children for three hours in an airport, Uh, don't wish that upon anybody. Finally, we uh, have somebody come on the intercom and give us some news. Now, the news is not good news. The news goes something along like something like this. Uh, The plane that uh, we're supposed to fly, well, it isn't working. It's It's not working. We're not gonna load you on. Instead, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get all of your luggage that has already been checked, and we're gonna put it on a bus, and we're gonna bus you to the LA airport, and hopefully we'll have a plane that works over there for you, okay? (laughs) So you're not going to get onto a plane now, you're going to get onto a bus, okay? So now we're wheeling everything, we've been in on the airport for three hours, the kids are exhausted, right? And we get onto the bus, and Jethro gets a little bit of a nap on the bus, just to re-energize him some more, okay? So now we're at the LA airport and our gate is right in front of the security checkpoint, which means that my son now has a perpetual new audience, a new audience of people who now is like has the time to look at a cute child jumping off a piece of furniture or maybe pulling his sister's hair. He just has this perpetual new audience of people uh, applauding what he's doing. And so I'm like, this ain't any good. And so what I do is I need to quarantine my son. And so I actually take Jethro. And this isn't a joke. I actually take him. I'm like, Reese, just give me a moment. And so I find this little corner of this airport. And there's no signage, nothing. It's like an abandoned corner of the airport. I'm able, actually able to manage to grab a couple benches and kind of just like quarantine this guy, you know. And Jet has uh, no toys there. So he results to actually taking his forehead and hitting his forehead up against the wall. We're talking about a kid who has b- been fed uh, copious amounts of candy uh, and hasn't uh, really slept much except for a t- bit of a nap. And so he, there's, no, there's no brain in there anymore, really. There's no coherence. It's just sugar and a little bit of calories. And so here he's hitting his head up against the wall and there's this one metal door that has no signage on it. I'm like, well, once he gets to the metal door, you know, things will get figured out. And he gets to the middle door, and uh, he continues uh, knocking his head. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Jet. And so he starts knocking his head on, like just doing this, right? Like one of these, on this metal door. When all of a sudden, the metal door opens. And uh, it's a pilot. And I'm like, oh my goodness. What? Hey, what's going on? You know, I'm kind of like this. and then, But I see the countenance of the pilot. The countenance of the pilot isn't like... <laughs> It's not like those perpetual audience, no. This pilot is upset and he's actually, whose kid is this? I'm like, yeah, whose kid is this, you know, I'll take him, you know. Um, So I go over there. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. What is this? And he looks at me, he says, this is the sleeping quarters of the pilots. And here Jethro is knocking his head up against the sleeping quarters of the pilots, okay. I'm just surprised and very thankful that the news didn't say the following day that a bunch of plane crashes had happened because of a lack of sleep of pilots, okay? Jethro went into the darkness and brought forth the light, did he not, right? Into a group of people who were asleep. Paul is writing a letter in prison to a group of people who aren't necessarily asleep. I mean, this is a vibrant church, But he's going to remind them that the context in which they live, the city in which they lived, which had a temple to the god of Artemis, a culture that is so ingrained in worship of pagan idols, a culture that is ingrained in a sexuality that's far from biblical. Paul's going to remind his readers that there needs to be a certain awareness a certain alertness that goes beyond that of the physical. That the Ephesian would be one who would be, in other ways, enlightened. Enlightened to Christ. Enlightened to his word. Enlightened to the truth of the gospel. In fact, what Paul is actually hoping would happen to his his readers, is the very thing that happened to Paul. You see, Paul had a very enlightening experience. He had someone wake him up. Someone burst through his door and say, hey, Paul, wake up. We read in Acts chapter 8, the very first time that Paul's mentioned. The way in which Paul's mentioned is in 8 verse 3, it says this, But Saul, that is to say previous to his name change, was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, if you did not grow up in church, this might be, you're like, wait, this is the writer? This is the author? Yeah. This is the author prior to God waking him up. This is this guy's resume. What was he doing? Ravaging the church going house to house i mean this guy is so meticulous he wants this movement so much gone from jerusalem that he's knocking on doors going house to house the following chapter we see jesus get a hold of his heart 9 verse 1, it says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Yo, Paul, you, okay, listen, you're so passionate against the church that you're not happy about just Jerusalem. You want to go into Damascus. And so he starts going, he starts walking towards Damascus to get more of these Christians and to put them into jail and to kill them. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven. Can you say that with me? A light from heaven. This is the thing that he's writing to the Ephesians about. So when he's saying, man, I wish that you would just have a light from heaven. That you would have one of these moments in, in human history, that in, in, in your life, where you would be awakened to the realities around you. You see, I think that as he's writing this to the, to the Ephesians, man, I just wish that you just, just get a grasp of what's around you. I actually think he's thinking back to this moment. Where in Saul's heart, he was actually at, the, at that moment in time against Jesus. He was against the church. And he's heading towards Damascus with his own plan to get rid of more Christians. And he's heading there towards Damascus and boom, a light from heaven stopped him in his tracks, woke him up. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And I love verse six now because here's what's interesting. Saul, Paul, up until this point, he's been the one in charge. He's been telling, you got to go in here. You're going to go to jail. Stephen, you're going to die. You're going to do this. He feels like he's been in control. I love verse six because Jesus says, now you get up. And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Okay, Saul? You've been telling everybody else what to do. It's now time for you to be told what to do. Right? The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. I think that in this moment, the depravity of Saul has become such that the spiritual reality of his life, he was so blind spiritually that the moment he encounters the truth, he's actually gone blind. But for three days only. For three days, Saul goes blind. What do you think for a moment? How important sight is to you. You took took it for granted this morning. I did too. I drove here. Who here on the way here was praising the Lord for sight? Anybody just, thank you, Lord, for my pupils. (laughs) Praise you, Lord, for the cones in the back of my retina. Anybody doing that this morning? You ought to be. (laughs) Why weren't you? Really? Imagine going blind. With all due respect for all those who know anybody who's blind, or maybe blind in one eye right now, I respect anybody. My goodness. Blind. You know, the Bible says a lot about blindness. It says that prior to Christ, you were blind. And that at the encounter of the Messiah, there is a spiritual renewal of sight. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, said, Ananias, yes, Lord. The, The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Just real quick, if I can just say this, this is such a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit works. How maybe at your workplace right now, that person who you've been stirring, like the Lord's been stirring, I should go talk to them about Jesus. I should maybe... Give them this thing. The Lord is stirring something. Guess what? He could be very well stirring something in their heart. We see that in, in Saul and Ananias. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. Right there. Look at it. I, I want to I stop and just point at it right there. Brother. Saul just weeks before, murdered Stephen, a fellow Christian. Saul days before, was ravaging the church, was dragging people to prison. And Ananias calls him brother. We don't get to choose our family, do we? When it comes to the kingdom of God, Ananias calls Saul, who was a murderer, he calls him brother. Brother. Brother Saul, I think that's really, really powerful. Because it shows the grace that is within Christ. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained strength. I mean, this is one of those moments, I don't know about you, but in the Bible, I just have so many questions so you're telling me Ananias he comes in he lays hands on him and things from his eyes start falling off scales. I mean after this miracle what happened with the scales? Can I ask that question? Like did they pick them up? Would you not have had any inquiry of as to what they were made of? You know, put them in a jar, keep them for a while, I don't know, you know. This is a completely transformative experience for Saul, and that's what I want us to see today. That the writing that he did in prison was an experience that he was hoping his readers would have. Have you ever had an experience, seen a movie, gone on a hike, that you wished others would experience? You go, gosh, that was so amazing. Far beyond a movie, far beyond a hike. Have you ever encountered the person or a person of an ulterior reality named Jesus? That is so beautiful, he is Lord, that you would go, man, I just wish others would experience it. You see, this story is important when we enter our text today because Paul experienced it himself and is hoping and wishing that the Holy Spirit in some way would do the same thing God did for him, for them. Would this be a moment where, for those who are Christians here in the room today, we would have the same prayer for our family. God, would you do for them what you did for me? Would you open up their eyes in the same way that you opened up mine, and the fact is, is you know what? You don't need to pray. You know, sometimes we need to pray. God, would you put them into a season of difficulty that, in that season, they would really, really need you. You know, we we don't need to really pray that because we're in a historical moment where there has been a global crisis, hasn't there? And all of us have had our foundation shaken. And we don't really need to pray for that moment to happen because the moment has happened now. I think our prayer ought to be, Lord, would we leverage the moment that's already here not towards being repelled, but rather being propelled? Lord, would you propel me into truth, not repel me into darkness? Lord, would you propel that person into truth and not repel them into darkness? Lord, would you propel that person into knowing you not being repelled into knowing falsehood. Lord, would you open up the eyes of my heart and theirs, and not be closed in the fog that surrounds us. You know what's wonderful about the road to Damascus is this, is that the word Damascus, you know what Damascus means? I find this interesting anyway. Damascus means to, to dance. That is to say, actually, it means to be in sync. So in that context, if you were a good dance partner, if you were in sync with that person, it, would, it comes from the root word of Damascus, to be in sync. And I wonder if there's just a coincidence, but here Saul was walking towards the place of synchronicity. And it was the place of synchronicity where he would finally get in sync with the Lord, where he would find a rhythm with God. And our text this morning talks about how God is the father of glory. The father of glory. The word glory means weight. In the Old Testament, when the glory of God came down into the temple, it was a weight. It was, whoa, heavy and you know what's beautiful about glory about weight is that like an elevator works when glory comes down we rise up. When God's glory comes down when Saul was saw the risen Christ when 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 we I believe see the truth of the scriptures and of the gospel we can't help but to be propelled upwards. It's like my boy Axel. My boy Axel so he's our youngest. He has um, pronated feet, so his feet uh, go a little bit outwards like this, which means that he doesn't have as much stability as his brothers. has a Well, he has a harder time jumping. But you know what's real cute? Is I like to bring Axel on the trampoline in our backyard. I'll take Axel, and he can only jump about this tall. But on the trampoline, especially when his dad's on there, I take Axel take his hands, and as long as Axel and I are in rhythm, oh man, you should see my boy, he jumps. I'm jumping with Axel, whoo, you see those, oh my goodness. It's been a few times, Marisa looks out, I'm like crying. I'm like, ah, no. Why, because my boy's jumping, he's jumping. But he's jumping high, why, because he's in rhythm with his father. He's in rhythm with his father. Paul in Damascus would finally find a rhythm with God. And the moment that you find a rhythm with God, life begins to happen. You begin to wake up. You know, it's almost like a mammoth of a ship that gives off massive waves. And the reality is, is that, man, if you can catch one of those waves, whoo, you should try surfing those. But you go against those waves, and uh, they'll take you down. You see, I think God is such a powerful God. So powerful. Look around you. The power even in a single atom. Split that one of those open and... We got a massive explosion. Our God is clearly very powerful. And so you get in sync with that power. Watch what happens. But you choose to go out of sync against that power. Well, that ain't any good. And I realized that very early on with Axel. You see, if Axel was jumping with me on the trampoline and he'd get out of sync with me, then that's whiplash. You get whiplash if you're out of sync on a trampoline, don't you? We've all had that happen. Anybody Anybody here had, a, had a, that happen on a trampoline? Yeah, it doesn't feel good. Here Saul is, or Paul should I say, is writing to the Ephesians saying, guys, I had this experience. and It was overwhelming. And he's wishing us or wishing them to have the same. Therefore, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you in my prayers. I love the fact that he acknowledges their faith and I love the fact that the Ephesians were known for their faith. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I want to ask this question as I was reading the text today is this, is that, man, what what do you and I want to be known for? The Ephesians were known for their faith and their faith actually led them to love and your love for the saints. James, who's the brother of Jesus, he would go as far as to say that faith that doesn't lead to love isn't really much of faith at all. I love the fact that the Ephesian church was known for their faith and love. And because of this, he doesn't stop to cease to give thanks in his prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, there's that term, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what the hope of his calling. Okay, I wanna stop there real quick. And I wanna use an illustration uh, for this verse here where it talks about may he give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Man, during our greeting time, if I can just reference this real quick, we had a great conversation about critical thinking and how, how does a Christian be a really critical thinker and yet be a Christian at the same time? And I think that we ought to be, as Christians, actually we're called to be people of truth, siphoning through, figuring out what is true and what is not. We ought to be critical thinkers. And I think this verse reminds us that all of our understanding wisdom revelation ought to be grounded in what the knowledge of him that the knowledge of him would be our foundation to all else now i just want to give an illustration which actually changed i would say my perspective on a lot of things and it's a philosophical illustration i think that has huge entailments and it's what's called the island of knowledge. So I didn't come up with this, this illustration. If we can just get that slide up, the island of knowledge. This is something uh, that spoke a lot to me. I want you to imagine that all of your knowledge, everything you know, everything you knew in, in high school, that you've gotten got to know through experience, everything that your family taught you, is ultimately an island. You and I have an island of knowledge. And what science is, is accruing the unknown or taking that which is unknown and assimilating it to our island. Does that make sense to everybody? So science is this idea of taking the unknown. So at one point, we didn't know much about our solar system or we didn't know much about, let's say, quantum mechanics or whatever. We we accrued that information. and We made our island bigger. You see, there's nothing wrong with making your island of knowledge bigger. However, and here's the philosophical kind of flips, the kind of switch here is this is that the circumference of the circle or the beach of your island if you will is the boundary that separates you from the very thing that you are after the unknown and so as your knowledge increases as your island of knowledge everything you know increases well so does the boundary that separates you from the very thing that you're after. It's a philosophical illustration that reminds us that sometimes having the biggest, largest island isn't in fact the goal of life. We've all met those people. Some of us are those people. (laughs) We're always trying to prove how big our island is, our island of knowledge. You see, what wisdom is, and catch this with me, What I believe wisdom is, is not so much being focused on growing your island of knowledge, but rather stewarding the island that you have. Taking the knowledge that you have and applying it. Taking the seeds and actually watering them. Taking that which came in and saying, okay, I'm going to actually apply that information whether it be spiritual, whether it be financial, whatever that is, I believe wisdom focuses more so on cultivating the island itself as opposed to growing your island. It's, it reminds me kind of of when I first got my iPad. When I first bought my iPad, it just had a couple apps, like a couple ones, not many. And then someone told me, you, you, gotta, you don't have this app? You gotta get it. Oh, I gotta get that app. Of course I do. And then I, and there's another app you got to get that app. You don't have that app? Oh my gosh, you're missing out. And the next thing I know, I can show you the, the slides of apps that I actually don't even use. Right? So here my RAM is expanding, but yet I'm actually not using the object that it was made for to its fullest capacity because some of those things I don't even really need. All to say this, what Paul is saying in this text is that he's not saying... That we ought not to seek knowledge, and I'm not suggesting that we ought not to seek knowledge, but rather that our island would grow incrementally. That as our knowledge increases of the Lord and of life and of parenthood or of business and all these things, that we wouldn't be the types of people who are so hungry for just knowledge for knowledge's sake. But rather, we would be the types of people who, first of all, would be founded in the knowledge of Him, and that that would be the filter of taking that which is true, applying it to our lives, and seeing our lives unfold into the beauty that God has created us to be. That's why children... I remember John MacArthur saying there's three pillars of childhood. Wonder. Innocence. And this last one I thought was interesting secrecy when john macarthur said the third pillar of childhood was secrecy i got the wonder oh yeah you're always wondering wow in a sense get that secrecy i thought oh, what does he mean by that and in effect what he was saying is this is that in the same way to a child you actually want them to to sort of grow incrementally sequentially you don't just throw all of the knowledge you want to know what this you want to know about the no because you're like you know what your island's pretty small and you probably need to figure out the knowledge that you already have you know There's many things that you ought to figure out. And as children of the most high God, I think the Lord looks down upon you. And it's not like he's like, hey, I just want you to know this, know that. No, but rather it's like, hey, how can we as as a humanity and as a church, as a person, grow in our knowledge of him in a way where we actually apply the very thing that we know so that we may grow into the being that he's called us to be? And that is wisdom and revelation. Some of it, wisdom, I heard wisdom being talked about three things. It's the Bible, it is the community around you, and then it's the Holy Spirit. It's, the, it's actually John Hawes told me this. Word, wisdom, and whisper. And so what is the Lord whispering to you? What is your community maybe sharing with you? And what is the word teaching you? And how can these three things actually allow you to grow to be the person that you've called to be. He anchors all of this, and we begin to to land the plane now in this, is that what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of the power towards us who believe? And then he begins to point that all of our life should be grounded in actually not just the activity of the earth, but rather that there's a heavenly activity He's going to now point to, he's going to reference an activity that has occurred in the heavens, and that is the seating of Christ, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. You know, I once heard about a soldier, and maybe you've heard this illustration. I've, I've heard this illustration used many times in church before. But in World War II, there was a soldier who went into the forest, and he camped out in the forest for over two decades, right? As in, I don't know if you've heard this story, but the this, this soldier, for two decades, was hiding in the forest because he thought the war was still going on. He thought the allies were still fighting. He thought everything was still happening. For, two, for 20 years, this guy was hiding. And finally, he came out and learned that the war was over like 20 years ago. Like, dude, you've been, you've been living not in light of what's happened. Hitler's dead. Yeah, he's gone. Totally gone. It's the Cold War now. No, 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 another war, right? He wasn't living in light of what had occurred, right? And so what Paul's like, hey, guys, listen. Do you know there's been a, been a heavenly activity? That is to say that Christ has been seated to the right of the Father And that you and I can now come out of the forest and that we can live in boldness and courage no matter the circumstance, not because of what's happening here on earth, but rather in heavenly realities. Christ has been seated at the right of the Father. And that should straighten your shoulders back. Why? Because not, again, nothing you did or nothing I did, but rather Christ, when he died on the cross, Christ was exalted next to the Father. He raised him from the dead, seated him in heavenly places, far above all rule. And we need to hear this right now. We need I think I think in in our time of the governing bodies, no matter where you are in the spectrum, we all can agree that right now the world when it comes to governance seems to be, man, it's shifting. But we need to hear this verse right here where it says, listen, Jesus is above all rule, all monarchy, authority, that is to say governance, power, that is to say army, dominion, and is there any other name? You got any other names there? You got a name there? It's like Lord Co., have you ever heard mechanics talking? You got a name at Lord Co.? What what kind of discount you got? You got 15%? Oh, I I got a name that gets you 25%. You got a name? You got a name that gives you 30? Okay, let's use that name, right? Paul's like, yo, listen, there will be times where you're going to look around and rule monarchy, authority, power, dominion. You will need to know that Christ is above it all. And if there's ever a context and a cultural moment where we need to put that verse somewhere, on a mirror or something to say, Jesus is above it all. Every Lord co-account, Jesus is above it, okay? Every political position, Jesus is above it. And he is Lord right now in this moment. He is the Lord of all. And he doesn't just talk about space, he now talks about time, not only in this this age but also in the age to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things, the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so again in this verse, Paul covered it all in the sense that he says you worried about governance, governing authorities or you what, do you? what rule, monarchy? What are you worried about? An army? What are you worried about? What, what, what are you worried about? Yeah, he's harder than that. Oh, you, what about time? What about ages? Are, did we miss it? Where are we in the, in the history? No, no, in, in this age and also in the coming age. Oh, yeah, Christ is in, oh, for sure. He is the ruler of it all. But if you're not careful, you might just miss it. And I'll just finish with this illustration. You know, in, in particle physics, there are 17 different particles that make up matter, 17 of them. And for many, many years, we knew 16 of them. And it wasn't until about, what, 2011, where we found what was called the Higgs boson. And the, the reason why the Higgs boson, which is the 17th particle, was so hard to find is because it has a zero weight, but it's called the Higgs. And you know what Higgs means? Higgs means ruler. And if you look at next time you, well, next time next time you're studying particle physics, um, you'll see the chart of all the sixteen different particles, and at the center of it is the Higgs. Most recent discovered, eight years ago. They called it the God Particles, and here's why. Because it's pretty much invisible. Incredibly hard to find, but guess what? It holds it all together. It's the Higgs that is the pillar that holds all the neutrons and the bosons and the whatevers. But if you're not careful, you might just miss it. So here's what Paul's saying. He's I know, I, I, I get that, I get that, I get that, I get that. But let me tell you, if you don't see that it's Christ who is seated on the throne, who is holding it all together, you're going to miss the whole thing. You, you'll miss the whole basket. The Ephesians were being reminded that they were to be really a church in a context that was to live differently based upon a different mentality. That ultimately the way that they saw life would change the way that they would do life. Going back to the very beginning, the way your identity is shaped, how you see yourself in light of Christ will ultimately shape the way you live your life. And so as we close today, and I want to invite Pastor Cam up today, I want to challenge you and I to be differently minded. And I think the wake-up call for you and I, at least for me, is a reminder to be centered upon Jesus. Centered upon His Word. Centered upon the fact that he still rules and reigns despite all of the various circumstances that we may see in our current context. And that ought to give you and I hope, as he says, in our calling. Faith, and ultimately would lead us to love. Because it's faith that connects us, it's love that protects us, and it's hope that propels us towards the future that Christ has for us hey would you bow your head as we pray and we're going to move into a time of communion holy spirit father god we've heard your word we've heard the cries of paul crying for the ephesians to really have a wake-up call lord we thank you for jesus who came down to the earth who died a terrible death only then to be exalted upon high Father God, I pray that we would live in light of that. Whatever that means, that Lord Jesus, you rule and reign above every name. And so Father God, would we not put our trust in earthly names, but would we put our trust and focus in the one heavenly name that matters most, and that's you, Jesus. And I pray that as we do that, Lord, our eyes would be awakened, that we would see the light, and the light would direct us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of C.A. Church.